Welcome to the Riot Podcast, where we have practical discussions on how to share your faith, see the news from God's eyes, and answer some of faith's hardest questions. Welcome to the Riot Podcast. This is Bob Shoneman alongside Mac Daddy World Traveling Pete Robertson. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the States, my friend. Yeah, it's exciting. I missed you. Yeah, I missed you. It's like you don't realize, you know, I, I think about you all the time. I don't, I know it's kind of weird, but we do have man crush on each other, but you know, it was mm-hmm. nice. And we just need some Barry White music. Yeah, a little Barry. <laughs> No, it was great. So, I mean, we, like a lot of you guys know that I, I true travel a lot and uh, we take groups all over the world and and there's some places we go. We'll be this last trip. We were in um, Israel. We went to uh, the footsteps of Moses trip in, in Egypt. And so it was fun. We're going to talk about that on the show today. This yeah. Be awesome. Yeah. It's exciting. It's uh, but the, the issue is, is, is coming off is like, you know, how many times have we've traveled internationally, the jet lag still gets you. You know, it's like the first night we're up during the middle of the night, like, no, we got to sleep and we're wide awake, yeah. you know. Well, that doesn't go away just because yeah. you do it more often. When, no. You but know, you when, tr- you're, when you're 12 hour different time zone for two weeks, well, you, we you have, gotta expect that. But we have like this system that we're working and so I got to readjust my system. It's still not working that well. I feel a little, I feel okay now, but every once in a, during the day, all of a sudden you get a fog brain. You're like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm awake, but I'm asleep. It happens. That's well, good. we're going to talk a lot about your trip, but I have a question for you. You're yeah. on the other side of the world. Do you still get to watch football? No, I I do, but on my phone. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I get I get updates and I I follow the whole thing. I mean, I'm I'm tracking everything you saw me minute <laughs> FSU one the other day, dude. I was tracking the whole thing the whole time. So, yeah, yeah a little update on our um Capital Grill um wager. Yeah. All of our, all three of our teams are undefeated. Yep. So it's, it's going to be interesting. Yep. It's Does the uh, Knowles look good. We we beat Clemson in Clemson, something we haven't cool. done great in game. like 11 years. So that was cool. Yeah. Um, great game. We never had the lead until overtime. Yeah. But, that was a great game. But it was fun to watch. I mean, yeah. I told Crystal, my wife, right you know, before the game even started, I'm like, I wasn't worried about it, but I'm like, it's a 50. I mean, this is literally a coin toss game. What you were thinking game. is this is going to be an expensive loss. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. I'm like, I'm not letting them order. Their, you know, no, no appetizers, no dessert. I'm like, it's but I mean, you're I, not getting the cowboy ribeye. I'm just this kind of makes it fun though, right? Watching it, but I think that Barry's team, I think, probably has the best schedule to be able to run it. I know that USC is coming into a buzzsaw, so it's going to be tough. I highly doubt. They're gonna they're gonna run. So the you've got what you've got Washington on your schedule, I think. You've got Utah, Utah on your schedule. Uh, well, we're playing Colorado this week. Well, that's not that was some. They should be. That's fine. a lot of hype. Yeah. I think there's Oregon's in there. I don't know. I, I mean, um, there's UCLA. You, it's always a rivalry game. Notre Dame. You play always, Notre Dame, right? Yeah. And they're they're upset after getting beat by, and they shouldn't have got. They yeah, but won those, that game. but the, UCLA and Notre Dame. It doesn't matter what the record is. That's right. Those two teams always, it's just kind it's, of like University it's like of Florida. Miami, it's like Florida, Miami for us. Yeah. It doesn't matter what the records are. It doesn't are. matter what the These records are. These kids have played against each other all their lives. They're going to give it their all. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That's so, so true. 
So it's, but I don't know. So I just think, I mean, I think you're going to have. And then Liberty's playing Sisters of the Poor. Yeah, so no. Liberty man, has the easiest schedule. <laughs> I think Barry's. He's Barry, not here to defend himself. I feel like he's going to have the most secure. But I think FSU's also has, you're going to have some problems. I think I was looking at your. Yeah, we got yeah. some got some tough games yeah. um you know wake forest is playing good and uh florida florida looked really yeah. good the last couple yeah. Of weeks yeah who yeah. else who's about who's the hardest though on your on our schedule yeah um it's probably going to be the florida game yeah yeah so you should you might run the table because that that game's in gainesville yeah no uh, we usc get, we, get, places... we get miami at home well that's going to be a good so game that's going to be really good that's yeah. um november 11th i think yeah yeah. That's the game we talked about possibly. Yeah, that's right. We were going to go to that game. Um, <clears throat> and then the tickets are like forever. More it's just dumb. And... It was going to cost way yeah. too much. Yeah. Watch it on. Yeah. Um, we, Crystal and I talked about going to the Florida game too, but same thing. Tickets are really expensive. Mm. <laughs> Spend that money on. Well, anybody that's listening right now, you know that we like sports. I mean, it's, it's hard. Uh, we always, we talk about probably football and basketball the most. Yeah. Baseball is the least that we talk about. Well, we didn't even talk about my NFL team. Oh my gosh. I just you're... 70, seven, zero, and they could have scored more, but they didn't. It, it was Miami Dolphins is who he's talking about. And they, they, they could have did the record, which was what? 30, 72, 70, is, 72 the is the record. They just kneeled on, basically yeah. kneeled on the and ball. They could have kicked, kicked, the kicked the field goal. <clears throat> I'm wondering if the coach knew the record was 72. If, I'm sure somebody had oh, it in, yeah. in his ear saying, Hey, yeah, you know, the field goal is the record. But, why not? Why wouldn't you want to take Yeah. Record? But I mean, I mean, I Miami. You got to respect them. Miami's the last idiot. undefeated team, right? No. Who in the in the AFC? Yeah. Yeah. Philadelphia is three and zero, and no, 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 no. Oh, I mean, the ones that ran the table through the season, Miami Dolphins. Oh, they're the only team that's ever done it. They're the only team that's ever done it. One time. Yeah. So they could have broke the record. They've been the only team that's ever broken the record, but they didn't. They had. You We're know, talking about two different things now. What, Dolphins? Yeah. You mean undefeated season? Yeah. Yeah. So the Dolphins are the only ones that have ever done Right. Yeah. And they could have been, they could have been the only ones that score 73. Yes. And they didn't do it. Yeah. That was what I was saying. Yeah. They could have. Could have yeah. had that record. Too. Yeah. But what else? I don't know. They don't have any Super Bowls, but. Yeah, they do. They have one. Two. They have two. Yes. Shula. Oh. So the year before they won, <clears throat> the year before they went undefeated. Who was the co- quarterback? Um, Bob Greasy. Bob Greasy. I believe. Yeah. Um, Larry Zonka was running back. Uh huh. Zonka. Yeah. So, yeah, I think they won. I think they won 71 and 72. But so, yeah, it's been a long, it's been is, a long is, drive. Is Don Shula the one that owns Darden, the Darden restaurant thing? I don't think so. Oh. Anyway, anybody that knows who owns Darden, you can look it up and let us know. Only Mr. Darden or Mrs. Darden. Grandma Darden. I thought Shula was in on it or something. He might have been. He had his, he had his own steakhouse. Oh. The Shula Steakhouse. Really he, good. Is he good. still alive? Um, are you passed? So. Is he? That's a good question. He went into Dallas after after Miami, right? Shula? Yeah. Don Shula? Retired. Retired a dolphin. Oh, he did? See how much I know? I know. Not much. But you're a California guy. Yes. I was a South Florida guy. That's true. We're like That's like different ends of the country. Yeah. You know, you're, a, you're on the left side, West Coast, on the right side. West Coast has a whole different mentality than East Coast. I can tell you that firsthand. <laughs> Left we, Coast, best coast, right? Even the churches here are different. It's just different. It, it is different. Yeah. All right. All right. What else are we going to do today? I don't know, but that was a fun talk. Let's do a podcast. How about that? Yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah, me too. It's, I miss it. I know you guys, we've had podcasts every week, but, uh, you know, behind the scenes, we had a couple in the can because 
travel. So yeah, um, it's good to be back in the studio with my with my buddy, it's with my buddy Pete. All right, I'm gonna open us up in prayer, and then we'll Let's we'll just it. jump right into this. Lord, we uh we just thank you for just the opportunity that we get to do this, that we can have fun talking about sports and and all the other things that are going on in our lives. But more than anything, Lord, that we get to talk about you, and uh, we we just everything we do, we want to just help point our listeners to you. So, Father, we give you this show now. I pray that you would use it as only you can, and um, that you would bless it, that you would bless our families, bless our listeners, and uh, just be with us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So what's the show going to be called today, Pete? Um, Moses to Jesus, Exodus to the Promised Land. That kind of uh, says it all, right? That does. I mean, that's kind of what we're going to probably make more sense when we get through it all, but yeah. yeah. Moses to Jesus, Exodus to the Promised Land. That's it. I like it. All right. This week, we will talk about an extraordinary journey as we delve into the remarkable parallels between the Exodus of Moses and the life of Jesus, drawing inspiration from Pete's recent enriching expedition to Egypt and Israel. You like that? that I like it. Together, we will unravel the profound significance of each location that he and his beautiful wife explore, yes. forging meaningful connections that resonate with our lives in the present day. Get ready for a captivating exploration of the past that illuminates our paths ahead. I love it. Those are great words. That's there. awesome. Yeah. I wish I had wrote that. You know, there's a lot of people that are going to probably be listening to this that are going to be going on um, this tour with us in the future. I know that we have groups that are already lined up for next year. Yep. Um, but then the groups that have already been going in, this is one of our most popular tours and, uh, the right podcast also has one going next June. So if you guys want to join us to go next June, you can hop on and, and come with us to it's not too late. No, it's not. Go ahead and, um, go onto our website at the riotpodcast.com and, uh, you can register just directly right on that. But anyway, this was, you know, again, you have to you have to get yourself out of the um oh i just want to see the tombs and you know you want to see all this stuff but you want you have to really see it like look at this from the biblical perspective from god's eyes so god chose a man moses right out of egypt and and what is the significance of egypt well we know that after the tower of babel in in genesis um 11 is when all of the civilizations were split up. Remember the Babel, the civilizations. And one of those civilizations was the Egyptian civilization. We have our Chinese, we have the Egyptian, we have the Greek. Um, and then we also have the the, Mes- uh, the Mesopotamia area, which is Iraq and um, Pakistan and all of that in the region. So those are like four regions where most of what we've come from is from those four identities, right? So right after the flood was all of that. Um, and so Egypt goes back way far, and God chose to bring the the law through Moses through Egypt. And so you want to look at it from that perspective. And so when I was there, you know, I'm looking around, and you're seeing all the the tombs, you're you're seeing the hieroglyphics, you're seeing these you know these pharaohs that are claiming to be God, or they're they're serving the the sun god Ra, or or they're serving the frog god or the falcon god or there's a you know, frog god yeah so there's these different <laughs> gods that they serve and you're trying to comprehend okay well that's what Moses was dealing with and he's trying you know you're trying to comprehend well how were they thinking back then what was their culture and so yeah so we're going to try to like delve into that a little bit but we're going to also come from a biblical perspective and and see you know God's perspective or you know what the bible says all right all right well let's go all right 
First stop is Egypt and Moses. Ramses II and Moses are figures from the book of Exodus in, in the Bible. Ramses, is it, am I saying that right? Ramses yeah. II? Yep. Also known as Pharaoh Ramses the Great, yep. was the Pharaoh of Egypt during the time when Moses led the Israelites out of slavery. In the Bible, Moses is described as being chosen by God to act as a deliverer of the Israelites from their bondage in Egypt. According to the book of Exodus, Moses confronted Pharaoh, Pharaoh Ramsey II, requesting the liberation of the, Israel, the Israelite people. However, Ramsey II initially refused, and multiple times, yep. refused to let the Israelites go, leading to a series of 10 plagues upon Egypt. Hey, maybe that's why the, the frogs was one of the right, plagues, right. because of the frog god. It is, yeah. These plagues were sent as a divine judgment upon Pharaoh and the Egyptian people until he finally agreed to release the Israelites. Pete, what did you see that brought all of this to life? That's really good. That's great. So like Ramses II, I mean, there's 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 arguments saying that, oh, it could have been, you know, before Ramses I, that could have been the Pharaoh. Um, but I mean, when you start looking at the time frames, and we really don't know... You know, when when people start giving Egyptian timeframes, they really don't know. It's kind of a guess. They'll say, oh, it's 3,000 or 2,500 years before Christ or whatever. But I believe it's probably around 2,300 years before Christ was when the civilization started. Um, we have a lot of documentations from Chinese, from the Egyptians all around that time. Um, Ramses II would have been a later pharaoh. So he would have been probably around 1200 to 1300, right around there. So he would have been part of the new dynasty is what they would call it. So they 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 would have had about a thousand years to I, kind I, of build up the, yeah, 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 yeah. civilization. Yeah, but he, Ramses believed that he was God. So when you would go in some of these temples, you would see Ramses sitting with the other gods. So like there's one... There's one picture of four different gods, I mean, three gods and Ramses sitting there with them. And so Ramses felt like he was divine, right? And it was one of the most powerful pharaohs in ancient Egypt. He reigned for over 66 years, probably in the 19th dynasty from 1279 to 1213 BC. Um, but we visited a place called Abu Simbo, which is located on the western bank of Lake Nassar. It's known for its impressive rock-cut temples. These temples would have been around during Moses' time. But what makes them significant is that these structures were located at the beginning of Pharaoh's kingdom on the Nile. They symbolized and communicated to everyone who traveled up the Nile that Pharaoh was considered the god of the region. The Pharaoh was highly dominant and could not tolerate Moses claiming that there was more powerful god than him. Consequently, God had to harden Pharaoh's heart to teach him a lesson. The Bible says that in Exodus 9, 12, it says, But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said to Moses. This verse refers to the time when Moses and Aaron were sent to Pharaoh to ask him to let the Israelites go from the slavery in Egypt. Despite witnessing various signs and wonders, Pharaoh's heart was hardened by God, making him refuse their request. So. I mean, Pharaoh believed he was the big deal, right? And so he had a godlike figure. And if you've ever met somebody like had a godlike figure, it's hard to have a conversation with them because they know everything. They are all powerful. They have all the connections. They're very smart. They're all uh, whatever. And so here's Moses coming in and saying, hey, 
God told me, Yahweh, I am that I am, has told me that you're supposed to let the Israelites go, that they're no longer supposed to be your slave, and that we need to go into the wilderness to, to sacrifice and to worship our God. They never once said, hey, we want to move out of land. He just said that we need to go into the wilderness to that. And, and Pharaoh's like, no, I'm not going to let you go. I mean, who is this God, right? Who is this God that you're claiming? I am the God, you know, I am the most mighty and God then said, well, you know, I knew that you were going to say that. So your heart, your heart is hardened. And so that he brought these plagues on. And finally, towards the very end, you know, his magicians and all of his people, they could not kill the firstborn, but God could. And uh, and he saved all the firstborns. in. that's where we get our Passover. That's where the they put the blood of the lamb on top of the, the doorpost and that the angel of death would pass over. Well, that's kind of what happened. But here's Pharaoh at the very end. He's like, uh, okay, you win, you know, and he let him out. And so, but that's what I saw. So as I'm sitting there and I'm looking, I'm seeing Ramses, this powerful God, and I'm seeing these Pharaohs thinking the same thing. It wasn't just him. I'm sure it was all of them. And then, you know, God was, God made his point. His own, there's only one true and living God. And that is Yahweh. And that's what he was trying to tell them that you can claim your God. You can have all your other gods, but there's only one. I can kill a baby that can do what he did and he was able to do it. So being there, did it make the like movie, the 10 commandments make more sense? <laughs> did you, did you picture anything there or look for Charleston? When Hester? we get, when we got the Mount Sinai, I'll talk <laughs> okay, about that. Good. Yeah. But you were showing, you showed me a map earlier and kind of a, a, showing where this, what Abu Simbo. Yeah. Um, at the very lowest part of the kingdom. Yeah, so to kind of get a picture of it, if you're traveling up the Nile, what, and the Nile is a, a unique river because it flows um, south to north. Yep. So if you're traveling, you're traveling up, <laughs> going north, downstream on the river. Yeah, they're you, up. They you would, would you would reach the city, and everybody would know. Okay, this is Ramses' town. I'm the god here. You, you you answer to me. They would call that the upper region. They were split between two. They had two kingdoms: the the high, the the lower region, which was the top part by Mediterranean so it's Sea, like the opposite because and, and the upper region the water was flows the downhill. Yep. But. Yep. Even though it's up on the yep. map, it's actually lower. Yep. So anybody that was coming into the Nile River coming up, all of a sudden they will see this end of the mountain, this Ramses temple. Crazy. And it was like, okay, we're entering into a different land. So yeah. Very cool. All right. The second stop was the temples of Egypt. The temples of Egypt held great significance in both religious and cultural um, aspects. They were not only places of worship, but also served as centers of social and political life in the ancient Egypt. Temples were dedicated to various gods and goddesses, such as, oh, good luck with this Amun-Ra, which is the sun god. Oh, I can do that yeah, one. Yeah. Amun-Ra, yeah. Isis, yeah. that sounds familiar, Horus. And, and Horus, among others. These temples served as a connection between the mortal world and the divine. Egyptians believed that deities resided in these sacred spaces, and rituals performed there were essential for maintaining cosmic balance and ensuring the well-being of the kingdom. Worshippers would offer prayers, make offerings, perform rituals to show their devotion, and seek divine blessing. Where Were these temples around during Moses' time? Well, I mean, we don't know exactly. So we know that the, the pharaohs would build a little part, and then they would each one of the pharaohs after would build onto it. So when you go into these temples, you would see Ramses the Great because he was later and he would always put his part in there. So you would see him and then you would see his cartoons, which is his symbol. That's so kind of like putting his name on the building. He yeah. wanted everybody to yeah, know yeah. it. Yeah. So each one of their sections would have the next Pharaoh's cartouche, right? So you would know, okay, he built this part. Um, 
And so that was, that's kind of what happened. I know it went all the way up until Alexander the Great. So when he came in, um, he never, he just added to it. So he added the, the Greek columns. Um, so when you go see some of these, you'll see the Greek columns, you'll see some of the colors that would be when Rome came in because Rome was really big into the colors that on the temples and in certain parts. Um, and so when you come to those and that would be, you know, one 300 before BC, and then you would have it up to 100, you know, AD, it would, you know, Rome was the ruling Roman at that time. And it was always used as a form of taxing. And so the people wanted to worship their God. And so they would have a temple set up so that they can tax them, but it would be a place of commerce. So they would come to uh, do their taxes. They would come for medicals. Like one of the um, Idufu, which is one of the temples um, going up from Aswan up into Luxor, um, they had a whole thing on the wall talking about medicines. And mm. so it would be a place that they would come to to have medicine, to be doctors and to, you know, the, these were all, this is what the temples were about. But what was fascinating to me, and I think we're going to talk about this, or I think I'm going to talk about it now, is um, is Solomon's temple was done about 956 BC, okay? So uh, Ramses was about 1200 to 1260. So he's a little bit before uh, before Solomon's temple. Okay. So they would build the temple a certain way where you would walk in, they would have the artwork and then they would have kind of like a Holy of Holies. But then when Solomon did it, there was a, there was a Gentile part. There was, you know, all these different sections moving into the most Holy of Holies. Right. And you start looking at some of these temples and they were set up just like how the Israeli temple. So when later years, when the Pharaohs would come in, they would start basing it kind of how Solomon had his temple set up or how God gave that temple. Um, and so, you know, and again, it's, you know, I think David back in that time or, or when they were around, they probably saw, they pro he was probably down in Egypt and he saw these temples. Um, he's probably like, Hey, they have all these, you know, these gods and they're serving them. Uh, I'm sure that, you know, he heard about it or whatever. And he's like, we should have a temple for our God. Right. We had the tabernacle. Yep. We had, you know, that God was, you know, in the tabernacle, but he was, they didn't, we didn't have a temple. So they're like, we want ours to be the best and the biggest and the greatest and whatever. And it was, it was after, you know, when they did it, but so, but yeah, those temples were there. We're not sure if it was how many were around Moses's time, but I am certain that there had to have been some, and I'm sure Moses probably would have orally told the Israelites and they, or they would have known. And I'm sure that it was just well known to the, the Israelites, especially when David's time and, and so forth. But I just knew, huh. you know, just you know what, on. what makes Israelites so different too. And I would talk to some of these Muslims and I would talk to um, the Jewish people is that the, the Israelites didn't believe in having a, an image God. So all of the other religions, they would have like some sort of image or something to worship. Israel's like, it's an unknown God. You can't see him. He's invisible. Well, they like, now you need to be able to see their God. You know, they believe in reincarnation or they can come back or whatever it was, but you need to be able to see, you need to be able to touch physically, whatever. And, and God is, like it says in the Bible, that God is spirit. You cannot know him. You can't see him, you know? And, and remember when, when God revealed himself to Moses, he blocked him that one part where he went in and, and he revealed his backside when he, oh no, that was Elijah, but he, but he blocked him from seeing him because it's, it would kill him, his spirit, but he's, he's spirit. Well, no. 
Isaiah talks mm-hmm. about falling on his face, right? Because he's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm undone. I've seen God. I'm like, I'm done. On Isaiah yeah. six, when he was in the temple, yeah. he was just so, he realized that the, the omnius, the power, the majesty, the authority that, that God of the universe had. Mm. Yeah. So cool. All right. Next stop was the third stop was Mount Sinai. The Bible mentions Mount Sinai as a significant location in several instance instances. In the book of Exodus, Mount Sinai is where Moses received the Ten Commandments from God. It is described as a holy and awe-inspiring mountain. The whole area was considered sacred. It was on it was on this mountain that Moses encountered the burning bush and where the Israelites camped during their journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. Did you get a chance, Pete, to climb this? And how long did did you think the yeah. Israelites stayed at I, Mount Sinai? It, I did, and it, I, it was about fifty thousand steps. It literally was. So from the from the base of where down below. I hope you had your Apple Watch. It was. It was about twenty. It was about twenty thousand steps to the lower part, and about another t- nine thousand steps to the actual upper part. So about twenty nine thousand steps each it, way. Yeah. Wow. It's a long, it's a long hike. And, um, and then on the back part, um, you can, um, you, but you could take a camel up and down if you want, I think it's like 25 bucks or something. If you wanted to take a camel up, I'm a little uncomfortable. It's like, it's on like being on a horse, but like really big. So I did that part of the way and it was, it was nice. Um, but let me just go back to something real quick. Um, we're going to talk about Mount Sinai in a second, but let me talk to about, um, the temples. And I forgot to mention this at the Karnak. Karnak there is the largest. It's the most picturesque. It's in Luxor. Um, it's an unbelievable temple. It's huge. It has the poles. You see a lot of um, um, a lot of photo shoots are done there. A lot of like these GQ photo shoots. They have all these poles, and um, if you, you would see them, anybody that's been on know seen the temples, you've seen these pictures. That's at the Karnak. Well, in one of the parts of the Karnak, it has the Pharaoh of Shishak. And um, it's off in the side. It's not where anybody goes. Is like a man cave? Uh, no, it was it was actually out in the open. Um, and it's but it's no none of the tourists go to this place. Okay, this is completely. You have to go off and you have to look at the wall and it's off. No one goes there and they don't understand that. But here's what Pharaoh. This is why Pharaoh Shishak is important. He left his own account of of Northern Kingdom carved into the walls of the Temple of the Karnak in Egypt. This would be the earliest event in the Bible. So. Wait, what am I trying to? Oh, first Kings 14, 25. In the fifth year of King Rehoboam, King Shishak of Egypt marched against Jerusalem. We see the cartouche of Pharaoh the Shishak, where he put that from 945 to 925 BC. And it says that he defeated Israel over with King Jeroboam, Rehoboam. So what happened was after Solomon was king, the kingdom split. Right. Upper region versus lower region. From what I understand through history is Shishak had his sister or somebody was married to um, Jeroboam, which was the North Jew. That was Israel, the North part. Jeroboam, or they were family members somehow. And so he joined Jeroboam and he went against Rehoboam, which was in Judah, the lower kingdom, and he defeated him. And he talks about that on the wall that he, that's one of his that's one of his things that he defeat. Oh wow! So it's the earliest biblical count that we have um, on the wall of in one of the temples, right there. So this Talking is about the that. kings, a couple kings after Solomon. Yep. Well, this is the one. This is Jeroboam Rehoboam, right out, yeah. right after, right afterwards, right when the split happened. Yep. 
Wow, that's yeah. fascinating. And there it, it is documented in stone. It's right there. Isn't that cool? So that's anyway, really cool. All right. So back to um Mount Sinai. So they stayed there for about um a year and then they were in Kardash or Kadesh Barnia for about 38 years. And so when you look at the map, um, they follow when they exited Egypt, they went into Sinai. Okay, that's that middle section there between Israel and, and Egypt. And they followed all the way down, um, all the way down the Red Sea. And during that, during the Red Sea, hold on, I'm trying to read my my right here. Let me just read what I have. So they they followed it down. Um, and when they came down, they that's where on their way there, that's where they uh struck the rock at the first part and they had water that was gone down to that area that was in Rephidim. So that was by Mount Sinai down towards the bottom of the Sinai. And then Sinai, Mount Sinai was down towards the bottom. So they would they would live there for about a year. Okay. So that's where they lived at the foot of the Mount Sinai for about a year. And then they would travel north up towards Israel. So that would be where Kadesh Barnea is. And there's a lot of stuff that we have there. Abraham defeated the Amalekites before Moses. Abraham was there at Kadesh Barnea and he defeated the Amalekites right there. So that region is where they hung out for about. 38 years. Um, let me read a little bit about Kadesh. So surrounded by rocky ridges and sand dunes, a small Israel town of Kadesh is situated Western Negev. So the Negev is lower part of region. So uh, Eliot, so you have Jerusalem and then below Jerusalem would be the Negev Valley. So that would be all Negev. And it was then below that into the Sinai. So across where that's where um, this was at. So they spent 38 years there. That's where they sent. And then it says in we can prove that the, that the Israelites were here archaeologically because it was that Ain el Quadrant was part of the series of up to 50 military fortresses built by King David and or Solomon about 1000 BC. So they actually have um, they actually have proof that shows that's where they were at. So they actually have that. Um, this is the place where the 12 spies were sent out. So they went in. This is the place that happened. This is the place that the ground swallowed up the the, the children of Korah. So this is where that happened. Wow. Um, and so yeah, a lot of stuff happened at this at this place. So that was north. Now on the tour, people are like, "Well, we're going to go see that." No, there's nothing to see there. Mount Sinai is much more prettier and it's much more things. And we'll follow that. So when they went, what happened is once they went to Kadesh Benia for that, they had to come back down towards Eliot and then back up through the Kings, the Valley of the Kings roads through Jordan up into Mount Nebo. And that's where we go to Petra and go through that. So that's part of the trip. We're not going to Kadesh Benia. There's nothing to do. So we'll just, it's desert. It's, it's sand dunes. It's, it's, this is where God gave them manna too, right? Um, same place or no, it started place? the manna came outside of Rephidim. So they were complaining like like they within a month, once they were like within a month going down so to Mount that, Sinai. That first year that they first. that right there in between the Exodus and uh, Mount Sinai is where the manna started coming in the quail. Yeah. Awesome. All right. I'll get my geography right. Right. All right. Next stop, fourth stop was in Israel yep. at the Temple Mount. When Jesus cleansed the temple and turned over the tables in Matthew 21, 12 through 13, and in Mark 11, 15 through 17, he was expressing his anger, his anger yeah. at the commercialization and corruption within the temple, which was meant to be a sacred place for worship. He criticized the expo exploitation and of people's piety for financial gain, highlighting the importance of genuine genuineness and reverence 
in matters of faith. What would Jesus think about the temple in Israel today? Yeah, I mean, it's I was when I was up on the Mount of Olives and I was looking over at the Temple Mount. Um I felt emotional. And um, and the reason being is because I went to the Mount of Olives after I've already been through the city, you know, and everywhere it's it's by this, by this, and it's just there's just material things in and I would talk to some of the Jewish people and I would feel that they're agnostic. I would think that they believe in God and they believe in the existence of God, but there's no relationship with him. Hmm. And it's like, it's like, it's has not changed at all. It's, it's the same as it was. And it, and it broke my heart is because I see the same thing in our churches today. And, and I believe there's a lot of religious people in our churches. I believe there's a lot of religion going on in the world, especially talking with our Muslim brothers in, in Egypt and, and Jews and so forth. But there's a difference. When you've been in the presence of God, you're transformed, you're changed. There's you have a new light about you. There's a new there's joy. There's it's it's um I don't know how to describe it. It's it's unspeakable, right? Um, it's, it's incredible. And so when you're sitting there and you're talking, you're hearing religion, you're hearing all of this stuff, but you're hearing a dead weight. You're not hearing revival. You're not hearing lights. You're not, it's, it's heavy. And, and, um, so yeah, so the temple Mount, but I, I would think Jesus would be very angry for sure. Um, the incident of Jesus turning over the tables at the temple is significant as it reveals Jesus' commitment to upholding the true worship of God and his opposition to practices that distracted from authentic devotion. They definitely cared more about financial gain and, re- and ritual religious practices than worship. They're, they're, even today, you know, we couldn't go on the Temple Mount because we showed flesh, right? I had shorts on, so I had to put on a skirt, literally put, to cover up my legs. Christine had to put on her full overcoat to cover up her arms and to cover up her legs because she couldn't show any flesh. Um, or walking up there and just seeing them doing their worship uh, prayers and, and everything they're doing, it was all religious. Mm-hmm. It was it was there was no freedom. There was bondage in it, you know. And so that's you know that's what I that's what I saw. Yeah, yeah. Well, you already mentioned the Mount of Olives, but that was kind of the next spot in the yeah. tour. So. Um, the fifth spot is the Mount of Olives. In the Bible, the Mount of Olives holds significant importance in relation to Jesus. Several events mentioned in the New Testament are associated with this location. In fact, Jesus frequently visited the Mount of Olives during his ministry and even gave important teachings there. It was also where Jesus ascended into heaven, according to Acts 1, 9 through 12, which ended his earthly ministry. Isn't that cool to think about? So, I mean, again, so know what Mount of Olives is. It's a mountain. So it's in, and it's, you have to go up a little ways, right? And right below at the bottom of Mount of Olives is the Garden of Gethsemane. So you have to, and there's a little valley. A valley. Yeah, yeah. There's a little valley there. And then it goes up another hill, which is where the Temple Mount where Israel, Jerusalem is. So it's it's a place, and I think during that time, the Mount of Olives would have been very quiet. It would have been a time where Jesus, when he wanted to get away and just worship and be with the Lord, this would have been one of those. So spots. there's no hotel there when Jesus. No, no, no. <laughs> and and it's and it it would have been quiet. So Garden Gethsemane would have been a meeting place for people. It was at the lower part. It was at the bottom. That would have been a place they hung out. That would have been a place they they gathered together. They just. You know, and there's the it was quiet and nice, but whatever. But when they wanted to get when Jesus wanted to get, I mean, it's a hike up to the top. So they would have that's what it would have been done. Um, 
but it's uh, it's cool standing up there. But as I stood there, I was got emotional. As I said, it was it, the sin, and it reminded me of Luke nineteen forty one through forty four. It says when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, "Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes." For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus approached Jerusalem and wept over it, foreseeing the destruction that would befall them in AD 70, right below the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm. And so as I was sitting up there, I I don't I I thought of that verse because I'm just thinking, Lord, why are they blind? I mean, I had so many conversations with with Jewish people and I was sharing them about the Messiah and I was giving them facts and proofs and showing them, you know, open up the book of Romans and Hebrews and saying, here, look, look, read. And um, they just could not believe they were just dead. And here's Jesus weeping up on the Mount of Olives and just saying, you just, you did not know that what was there to make peace with you. You had peace. You, Jesus is peace, right? You come unto him. He brings peace. He brings hope. He brings salvation. Everything about him. And you were, it was hidden from their eyes, it says. And that, and then he was just saying, your destruction is near. Your destruction is near. The, the whole temple, the whole that whole way of doing ministry is coming to an end. It's I'm wiping it out and I'm using the Romans to do it. And so he just wept. So, yeah. The next spot is, uh, if I'm saying this right, Capernaum. Capernaum. And I asked because Barry says Capernaum. Yeah. I've heard it said so many different ways. They would tell me Capernaum. Capernaum. I'm going to say it a few times to try to stick. Yeah. Capernaum. All right. Capernaum is a town on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee with a port for its fishing industry. Jesus went there from Nazareth and found his first disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Jesus left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum. I almost messed it up again. In Peter's house. It was there that Jesus healed the centurion's servant, Peter's mother-in-law, the paralyzed man who was lowered through the roof. He had good friends. A man who was possessed and many others who gathered to see Jesus. It was Capernaum that Jesus directed Peter to catch fish with a catch a fish with a coin in its mouth to pay the temple tax. On leaving Capernaum, Jesus condemned it along with other cities that had not heeded his call to repentance. So, what did you see while you were there? Yeah, it's a great question. So, I mean, understanding that this was a um this was a port city Okay, so it's the top part of Sea of Galilee. So if you look at a picture of Sea of Galilee, it's the top left. North, okay, north, so they, yeah. the kingdoms were split. So one part was Syria, Assyria, and the other part was where the northern kingdom of Dan was, which is by, by Lebanon. Okay, so it's close to Lebanon and it's close to Syria today. It's very close. The Golan Heights are right on the other side. But this would have been the part where they would come into Israel. So this would Capernaum would have been one of those. That's why Matthew, the tax collector, was in Capernaum. He was collecting the port, the taxes of mm-hmm. them coming in. It was a very big area. So um, Jesus went up and he knew that that's where the other religions would be. That's where all of the other things, that's where that commerce would have taken place, would have been right there at Capernaum. So it makes sense why Jesus was there. What's fascinating is there's a 
they have there a a hiking that you can do that that takes you the route that they would have taken from Nazareth into Capernaum. And you can actually hike that yourself. And it takes about three to four days. You hike about nine to 10 miles a day. You sleep in a little tent on the way to Nazareth. Um, but you can do that. And so, so it took Jesus about three or four days. And from, from Capernaum, so when Jesus went to Jerusalem three times a year, because that's what they did for pilgrimage, it would have taken him about 14 days, probably 10, 12 to 14 days of walking. Each way. So yeah, it's so from Capernaum to um, Tel Aviv, it's about an hour and 45 minutes driving. Uh, to Israel is probably about an hour, well, about an hour and 40 minutes or so um, is driving. So I would say two hours with traffic or whatever. And that's on highway six, just straight down. But that's, that's, but walking, it's at least, a, you know, it's rocky, it's mountainous. It's, it's not like, you know, it's not like some of these flatlands. There's just so many hills and there's just a lot of things that they had to go through. So, but, but we saw there today, it remains a synagogue, you know, synagogues, um, weren't big until after after the destruction of the temple, right? Because everybody went there to the temple. But after the destruction, they needed to have synagogues. So synagogues started going up everywhere all the time right after that happened. And and they are already and everywhere outside of, like say for instance, when Paul was going in 45 AD, that was before the destruction of the temple. They still had little synagogues, but they were smaller in in thing, and that was just a place that they can come together to pray. And you so mean forth. like in, like Turkey and Greece and stuff? Yeah. So he'd come across those. So the synagogues were a big thing for Israelites. So there was a synagogue there that we were able to see in 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 Capernaum. Um, also, a short distance over, there was they say it's Peter's house. Um, I think they can at least narrow it down to like the third century. They're saying that, Hey, this is kind of where it was. And that's where Peter healed. Uh, Jesus healed uh, uh, Tabitha. I think it was his mother. Yeah. yeah. Um, now they have like a Catholic church viewing thing on top of the actual location, but that was there. Um, I don't know what to take of it, but I mean, sure. It was cool. Um, but it, but I, this was a place that served as Jesus central base. You know, it's, uh, many of his teachings and his miracles were carried out here. One of Jesus' most famous sermon, the bread of life. And we read that in John 6, remember verses 22 through 71, um, when he he says, I am the bread of life, you know, he comes to me. That was the big one there, that discourse. Um, also the Mount of Olives, you know, I mean, the, the Beatitudes, you know, Matthew 5 through 7 or 8. Um, that's where, so when you're looking at Capernaum down on the water and you look up behind you and there's a bunch of mountain ranges up in that area and that would have been where he would have done this, that famous sermon. Um, Is this where he did the feeding of the 5,000 too? And that would have been in one of those areas too. There's two parts, but that would have been one. This was also the area where when he says he went straight across. So if you look at the top part and you go straight across, it would have been uh, the Gadarenes. That's where he would walk on the water. That's when they would go across um, to the East Coast to kill the to the pig swine. Remember, yep. they fell off yep. and all of that. And then afterwards, there was a storm and he went up into the mountains to worship and pray. And then he came out and he walked on the waters and they were going to die. So that all happened right in that area. Um, so, yeah, it was pretty. I mean, it's you just sit there and it's I mean, it's beautiful. It's still a fishing town. There's people fishing everywhere. Um, this is where you get to go on the, the the Sea of Galilee in the boat and eat Peter's fish. You know, this is, you know, if you go on the tour, you get to do that. And um, tilapia was the fish back then. That would have been Peter's kind of fish. And it's all over there. Um, and then the Sea of Galilee is now dammed and it runs into the Jordan River. So it's dammed and it runs into the Jordan River. And that's what then goes down. You know, the Jordan River goes down into the Dead Sea. 
that's kind of the that's kind of their track. Very cool. Yeah. All right. The Hebrew prophet prophets <laughs> all proclaim that in the last days the exiles of Israel were, would return to the promised land and that the temple would be rebuilt. The nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. Ezekiel thirty-seven twenty-eight. The prophetic return to Israel and the third temple. I will bring back my exiled people, Israel. They will rebuild the ruined city and live there. They will plant vineyards, drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them. You can find that in Amos 9, verses 14 and 15. What did you hear while you were there regarding the third temple, Pete? Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, I talked about it a lot, actually. So many skeptics around the globe like to proclaim that God has rejected the people of Israel and that Israel has been rebirthed by man alone. Yet we find in Scripture that God never intended to reject his people forever. It says in um, Isaiah 41, 9, 9, You Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from the remote parts and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and I have not rejected you. With no temple in Jerusalem, the Jewish people now worship the God of, of Israel in local community synagogues, in the study of Torah. Instead of offering animal sacrifices, they now offer uh, Telfillah, which is prayer, or Teshuvah, which is uh, repentance, or Tzedakah, which is charity. And I probably messed that up to all my Jewish friends. I'm sorry. Hey, but anyway, working hard on your Hebrew. I like it. Right. But many think that animal sacrifices have been done away with forever. But according to Bible prophecy, this simply isn't so. The Lord tells the prophet Ezekiel that in the future temple, the pre-described sacrifices will be offered. The north and the south rooms facing the temple courtyard are the priest's room, where the priests uh, who approach the Lord will eat the most holy offerings. They will put the most holy offerings, the grain offerings, the sin offerings, and the guilt offerings for the place of the holy. So um, that's that's the truth. So we they, they believe and we believe that there will be a third temple. So that's, that's, there's no, there's no doubting of that. Right. Um, and I believe that there will be a third temple and I believe there's a way for the third temple. And we can talk about that here in a second. Um, the serious question arises, do, um, the, you know, the next, the, yeah, the go next ahead. part. So right. go ahead. All right. So a serious, this, this brings about a serious question that arises for the Jewish community, but for all believers in Jesus, Yeshua. Yep. Will the next temple, the third temple, be Ezekiel's temple that he mentions in chapter 43, where the divine presence will once again reside? Or will some other presence reside in another temple? Yeah, see that the, the Israelites they don't they don't under, they don't think about Antichrist, right? So they believe that Messiah will come to the other temple. Okay. So they believe that, you know, they're they're building it for Yeshua. Right, but the Christians we know because of Revelation and because of Daniel, we we understand how Daniel, I believe, is Daniel seven. Um, I think it's Daniel seven. Anyway, where it talks about yeah, Daniel nine. So I actually have my in my notes um, where it talks about um, you know the third temple and it's in the abomination of the desolation is in what's going to take place. But I believe that there's going to be another presence. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, then let those who are of Judea flee to the mountains. So that's in Matthew 24, 15, 
um, in Daniel 9.27 and in Daniel 11.31. But after the 62 weeks, the Messiah, the Messiah, will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince, ruler Nagid, who is to come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war, uh, desolations that are determined. So when I was there and I was talking to um, the 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 Shushan, um, I believe I have in my notes here, the um, the Shushan uh, gates. So when you look on the Temple Mount, there's, I believe that there's a place that they can have peace. The, the, the Dome of the Rock is at one place, but behind the Dome of the Rock, so if you're looking at the Dome of the Rock straight up, behind the Dome of the Rock, there's an open, open area. And the way that the Israelites, and I, and I don't know why I don't have my notes here, but I had them before, but um, oh, I, I do. Oh, I do. Um, so let me just get into that. No, that's let fine. me read that. So they believe that God will perform another miracle. And, and one of our guides shared this perspective. According to their belief, the Jewish temple can be located behind the Dome of the Rock on an open land. If the temple faces east, it aligns perfectly with the Shushan Gate, also known as the Golden Gate today. This gate is situated on the eastern wall of the Temple Mount. And it leads to the Mount of Olives in the desert beyond. It's significant lies in the fact that if the gate used by the high priest during the day of the atonement or Yom Kippur, which they just had this past sat, uh, Sunday, to sacrifice one goat for their sins for the people, the high priest then sends another goat, the scapegoat, into Aziel, into the wilderness, symbolizing the removal of sin. I'm going to read Leviticus here in a second to show it, but when I'm standing there behind the behind the mount, uh, the the dome of the rock, and I'm looking at the the Shushan t- uh, gate. And if they set up the temple exactly there, it would open and go directly into the wilderness. And that's what they're saying. That would be the scapegoat. They would have to do that for the sacrifices. So the significance there, or one of one of the things that's significant is there's actually room there to build the temple without yes. tearing down the Dome of the Rock. Yes, they could both be there. And so they can just say that is where the Gentile part is, and then the Israelites can have their own. So they could both have their own. They can work together again. So Leviticus 16, 8 through 10 says, And he shall place lots upon the two goats, one mark for the Lord and the other mark for Azael. Azazel. Aaron shall bring forward the goat designated by a lot for the Lord, which he is offered as a sin offering, while the goat designed by the lot for Azael shall be left standing alive before the Lord to make expiation, expiation with it and send it off in the wilderness for Azael. So, Basically, what he's doing is he's he's sacrificing the one goat, and then he's laying all the sins on the other goat, and he's giving it back to the devil. <laughs> and so that's basically what it is. And it has to go out that gate, and it has to be directly in front of that gate because that's how they had it set up. And so that's behind the Dome of the Rock. So the Dome of the Rock is in front of that. So they can technically today have that set up. They already have... They already have all the material. They already have all the blueprints, everything they need. They already have models of it. You know, the Temple Institute already has all of this. So they're ready to go. They can start building right away. Minute there's peace, they can do it. I asked the guy, says, well, how's that going to happen? Because I believe there's going to be a miracle of God. It's going to happen. I know it. So they say that 1948, 1967, when they became, you know, all the dry bones came back in. I think we're going to talk about that here in a second. But they said that's all been a miracle. It's all a miracle. So, all right. They're waiting for the next one. Yeah. Man, that's exciting. Yeah. I can hear your passion. Like it's so cool that you got to go see that. That is so, so cool. All right. Um, Israel in 1948 and 1967 marked two pivotal pivotal moments in its history, each leaving an indelible impact. 
1948, the establishment of the state of Israel after centuries of yearning for a homeland brought hope, resilience, and the promise of a brighter future. The events in 1967, besides my birth, known as the Six-Day War, were a transformative turning point, resulting in Israel's recapture of Jerusalem and the West Bank, amplifying the country's significance on the world stage. These historic milestones hold profound significance, not only for Israel, but also for the global dynamics shaping our world today. Did you get a chance to talk to people about this? Yeah, I mean, that was I mean, that was one of the things they could not stop talking about. So when you're talking with a lot of the Israelites, they wanted to talk about 1967. And so we went up into the Golan Heights, which is right behind behind um, uh, the Sea of Galilee. We went up into that and they saw where the land the Syrians all uh, controlled that land, Jordan, Syrian armies. And so they pushed them all the way back through the Golan Heights. Um, they claimed back a lot more of their land. And what's fascinating is a lot of them that, that live in the Golan Heights are not sure. They might use that as a bargaining trip is what they're saying, a bargain, bargaining tri- chip. Uh, chip. Yeah. yeah. Um, to give back to Syria to gain like to gain some power or some land or something. So a lot of the Israelites that are living there are like unsure. They have a lot of farming land, a lot of vineyards that are living there. Um, and so they're just it's like an un, unsure mm. part. Um, but right now the Israelis control that. So Lebanon's right there and all of Syria. Um, but that 1967 was a huge deal, but they, they believe that it was a miracle of God. I talked about how it was a fulfillment of Ezekiel 37, um, with them, the prophet Ezekiel had a vision in which he sees a valley filled with dry bones. These bones symbolize the people of Israel who are in the state of exile and despair through divine intervention. The bones are brought back to life and become a vast army. This vision is often interpreted as a symbol of the restoration revival of the nation of Israel. It symbolizes the return of the Jewish people to the land promised to them by God. The passage holds great significance in Jewish and Christian theology as it represents the hope and the promise of a renewed relationship between God and his chosen people. So what happened right before 1948? What happened to the Israelites? What happened to the Jews during that time? Being terminated by Hitler. And I look at it this way. And it was pretty extreme. I mean, th- millions. Six, six million. Six million people. Believe, yeah. Six million people died. And 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 I look at my own life, okay? And I look at the trials and tribulations that I've been in. And I've been in some pretty hard ones where it's been pretty despair. And at the very end of it, there was, there was fruit. There was hope. There was something that good came from that. And I believe that this happened in the Israelites, that God used Hitler, unfortunately, but that they all, their eyes were open. Oh my gosh, we need to be a people again. We need to come back together again. And they came back into the land in 1948 and they fulfilled the prophecy of Ezekiel 37. And then, but they still didn't get all of the land. And so the six day war, it was significant because now they took back even more of the land and they were able to do that in six days, which again, it was a never miracle. So um, yeah, it's just, it was fascinating. Um, you know, we always say this on the show that, you know, uh, God, the time clock of God's return is Israel's, you know, they're the time clock of everything that's taken place. We watch Israel, what's happening in Israel. That's how we kind of know, um, God is coming back again for his people. Uh, he still loves his people. We believe that he's still giving them an opportunity to give their life to the Lord. I believe that's going to happen. Um, if it's not, I, I mean, in one part of it, it says that there's going to be an angel that flies around and tells them to repent and that they're going to, I mean, maybe it's then, maybe their eyes are open at that time, but I believe it's going to happen. 
Um, I was praying for it to happen as I got to talk with many people there. Um, but, but the bottom line is they have an opportunity to, to see God and give their life to the Lord, just like our listeners have an opportunity to see God and give their life to the Lord. And so, you know, is where I was at for the last few weeks. I mean, I can tell you that it's true <laughs> that everything that took place, there's archeological facts there. There's, there's written document. There's a codex in Atticus, the, you know, of, of right in the first, second century that was written. And we have, you know, proof that all of this took place. I mean, I talked to every Jew, Jewish person there, and they all said, yes, uh, Jesus was here. There's no doubt about it. I mean, Jesus, there's no doubt that he is who he says he is. And we believe that. And uh, there's so many facts. And so if you're listening to this today and you have not given your life to the Lord, there, this is an opportunity. Uh, God, God is telling you right now, he loves you deeply and he cares for you and he desires to have fellowship with you. And uh, he desires to be your God. And, and the Bible says that, you know, the, that the Israelites were the chosen people. But when we give our life to Jesus, that we are grafted in into their inheritance, that we get the same blessing that they got, that God protects us and guides us and directs us and provides for us the same way that he did for the Israelites. And, and the best part about it is the Bible says that it has nothing to do with your good works. It has to do with everything that Christ did for you. It is his grace that you are saved. It has nothing to do with of how good you are. It's it's actually the, the opposite. It's how bad you are and that God loves you in spite of that <clears throat> and that God wants a relationship and he wants to bless you exceedingly abundantly more than you think you're imagined. So if you're listening to this and you have not given your life to the Lord, you can do it right now. All you got to do is just humble your heart and just say, God, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Bless me. Lord, I pray that you um, I believe that you died on the cross and rose again on the third day. I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe that you you came and lived a perfect life so that I can have life and eternal life with you. And uh, and I today confess my sins and I and I confess that I'm a consenter and I repent of that and I choose to follow you the rest of my life. And um, and if you did that. And if you cried out to the Lord that way, any way you, any way that feels natural to you, you just humble your heart and you acknowledge that He is King. You acknowledge that He is God. You do that. The Bible says that all the angels in heaven will rejoice with you, and they will, they will, they will sing praises and, and glorify in God that you gave your life to the Lord. And uh, and if that's you, go and tell somebody and tell us, and we would love to hear from you, Bob. How could they get in touch with us? Yeah, I think Pete probably the best way is just reach out to us via our website, theriotpodcast.com, and uh, and go to the Know God link and uh, just kind of scroll down through there. And at the bottom, you'll find a place that a contact page you can reach right out to us there. And then finally, uh, you can uh, any of our social media sites you can you can reach out to us there. In fact, if you're watching us on YouTube right now, go ahead and hit that bell and then hit the subscribe button. That way you're getting notified every single time that uh, a new episode comes out. And if you're listening to us on a podcast, then uh, I would encourage you think or ask God who you should share this podcast yeah. with. And 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 just go ahead and just copy the link and and send it to a friend and say, "Hey, just listen to these guys and uh, I thought you might I thought you might appreciate it." So we would we would appreciate it. It doesn't cost you anything, and it helps get the helps get the word out. So, uh, Pete, man, what a great show! I'm so it's so awesome to hear about your trip. I cannot wait to get to go back to Israel. It's yeah, been June. It's been almost thirty years since I've been yeah. there. I, I'm looking forward to going there and taking my girls with me. But uh, good to do a podcast. I missed you, brother. Yeah, you too. Love you guys. Be blessed. Take care, guys. Have an amazing week of worship. 
This has been The Riot Podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please feel free to leave a comment and share it with your friends. See you back here next week for another episode of The Riot Podcast.